0: Hi, Dave Emmer here. This is For the Record, program number 1246. How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, part 19. This is being recorded on May 25th of the year 2022. Before getting into the main body of the program, uh, a number of links. These are at the top of each written Food for Thought description on the SpitfireList.com page and also at the top of each written Food for Thought post, also at the SpitfireList.com site. One of those links will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by Sister Stage and WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, and that is increasingly the case in our media landscape of 2022, then again, Sister Station WFMU is podcasting for the record. They're also archiving, uh, the audio files on MP3 for the FTR shows. Another link will enable you to subscribe to the comments that are being made, most of them by our brilliant contributing editor, Perifractal, and some by other intelligent and worthy listeners. Increasingly, it is past a point impossible to cover what is going on in a weekly one hour show. I've been recording more than one per week since the beginning of the Ukraine war. That may continue for a while. Even though I'm doing a Patreon site, more about that in a minute, uh, I will always be doing the weekly for the record programs with the written descriptions. But again, with all that's going on, uh, I would emphatically encourage people to, uh, please stay abreast of the comments. And, uh, again, you can click to subscribe to those at the top of the page. Now, Uh, Another link will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my roughly 43 years of written and audio-recorded material, plus a mini-library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. I couldn't be more pessimistic about what is going on. I think we uh, may very well be entering into World War III. I thought that was going to start in Asia. <laughs> uh, we may have an Asian uh, installment as well. But uh, I am afraid that uh, what is going on in Ukraine uh, has a disturbing similarity to the run-up in the over- overlapping political and military alliances prior to World War I, with the brain-dead inertia that the imperial powers going into World War I manifested, that resulted in World War I and the dissolution of those empires. The Ottoman, uh, the Russian, the Wilhelminian empires all dissolved, and the British and French empires were badly wounded. Uh, they did not, however, in World War One, they did not, have nuclear weapons, and we do. Plus they didn't have genetically engineered, uh, biological weapons, and we do. And, uh, otherwise, I think everything is looking disturbingly similar. I think as sentient beings, and I think this will seem perhaps very corny as well as self-righteous as hell, I think people have a responsibility to preserve the record of what happened, what went wrong, because uh, if there's any humanity that survives to the future, I think you as sentient beings have a responsibility to try to preserve the record and pass it on to them, and there is no Better enemy to preserve that record than that 32 gigabyte flash drive, which is available for a very nominal sum. I get no money whatsoever from that. That sum is tax deductible, by the way. And lastly, uh, but not leastly, so to speak, uh, again, at the top of each written article length, food for thought description, and uh, each food for thought post and each written article length for the record description, there is a link that will enable you to participate in the Patreon site. I'm recording three one-hour shows per week. The Transcription software to provide written transcripts uh, proved to be too imprecise and consequently too cumbersome to be viable uh, instead, every other week i 'm going to be doing a zoom. Q&A session, those should be up within a couple of, you know, those will be launched within a couple of months, uh, I'm an old fat, as they would say in Boston, so mastering the new technology is uh, taking some time, but that will be going up uh, presently, so every other week uh, you will be able to participate in a and a session via Zoom, and also I'm uh, going to be writing some articles regular, uh essay-type articles with footnotes, etc., and those will be available as well. The Patreon site is working out well. Just this past week, I recorded a, a show about uh, Peyton Gendron and the Assault Battalion and the various manifestations on that alleged Buffalo Shooters uh, website and manifesto. We talked about school shootings as well, and lo and behold did that turn out to be uh, timely with what just took place in South Texas. Um, uh, We'll see, maybe uh, time permitting we can ruminate about that briefly, but anyway, the Patreon site, in addition to the comments made mostly by Perifractal, will enable you to keep up with what is going on in a much more effective way than I can possibly do in a weekly one-hour program. Now, to the subject material, at hand, the title of the broadcasts, this series, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, comes from the 1976 Heartland, that's the title, of autobiography of the late brilliant political comedian Mort Saul Um, what Saul observed, how many lies before you belong to the lies? In other words, how many lies can you allow yourself to believe before you belong to the lies? And, uh, as we slide inexorably to what I'm afraid will be World War III. That is a very important question. What saw not incidentally, was one of Jim Garrison's investigators in his uh, inquiry and investigation of President Kennedy's assassination, uh, an investigation that has been vindicated by time. I first Came across the OUNB, Ukrainian fascists, uh, whose heirs are in power in Ukraine today, while investigating the well, researching the, the assassination of JFK. So it is appropriate. Uh, how many lies before you belong to the lies? I think that is something, I think that may turn out to be the epitaph for our species and our civilization. Uh, as we examine the vast gulf between what we are being told by our media, between what our politicians are parroting, and between what apparently the military leadership in the West is parroting as well, and the verifiable military realities on the ground in Ukraine as best they can be determined, I am afraid that we are going to wind up belonging to the lies we have been telling to ourselves and to others. And I suspect that that belonging to the lies will bring about the end of the world. We are going to, in this program, revisit analysis by a very important and brilliant intelligence officer. His name is Jacques Beau, B-A-U-D. I read his biography uh, in the previous two programs. Uh, I will include that in the written description for for the record. Actually, I can now read it here. Jacques Beau is a former colonel of the General Staff, ex member of the Swiss Strategic Intelligence, and a specialist on Eastern European countries. He was trained in the American and British intelligence services. He has served as policy chief for U.N. peacekeeping operations. As a U.N. expert on rule of law and security institutions, he designed and led the first multidimensional U.N. intelligence unit in the Sudan. He has worked for the African Union and was for five years responsible for the fight at NATO against the proliferation of small arms. He was involved in discussions with the highest Russian military and intelligence officials, just after the fall of the USSR. Within NATO, he followed the 2014 Ukrainian crisis, and later participated in programs to assist the Ukraine. He is the author of several books on intelligence, war, and terrorism, and then uh, it talks about some of them. Uh, this article, by the way, was originally in the French language, so if some of the verbiage seems a little clumsy, it is because it is translated. Uh, this was originally presented by the Centre Français de recherche sur le Renseignement in Paris. Now, this article was uh, was basically... Uh, it's titled, The Military Situation in Ukraine, an Update by Jacques Beau. It is uh, dated April 11th of 2022. It was published by the magazine The Postal. Uh, There is a link uh, in the... Description that would be published for the the record 1246. A caveat about the postal. They publicize a lot of information that I would describe as fascist or proto-fascist. Uh, I can't say how representative that is of the magazine's overall editorial presentation, but I would offer an emphatic caveat with a capital E and a capital C about the postal magazine. That having been said, I think we all owe oh, the postal a huge debt of gratitude for publishing this information. Uh, in our next program, perhaps if we have time we can begin the article in this one, uh, the postal did an interview with Jacques Beau on May 1st, and there is more information in there about his his CD. Uh, Jacques Beau, was actually involved. He, he, Although a Swiss intelligence officer, he was trained, again, by British and U.S. intelligence, among others, and was involved with the attempts at reconstructing the Ukrainian military post-Mayban. And so his is an expert uh, perspective, and uh, he <laughs> uh, presents us with his analysis of what is actually going on on the ground. Uh, not only really is Ukraine not winning, It does not appear that they have any realistic possibility of winning. Uh, That having been said, uh, I think the possibilities of escalation, perhaps incrementally, are enormous. There has been a lot of internet shatter, mostly on pro-Russian websites, of the possibility of Polish troops actually moving into Ukraine and there are also allegations mostly on uh, pro-Russian websites. Uh, President Zelensky and President Duda of Poland, having worked out an agreement for what amounts to extraterritoriality. Uh, If, in fact, Polish combatants move into the struggle in Ukraine, that might very well be seen as a manifestation of the intermarian continuity that we discussed in for-the-record programs 1098, 1099, uh, excuse me, uh, no, 1098, 1099, 1100-1101, uh, uh, the Azov organizations, their military units, have been organizing a recapitulation of the Intermarion relationship. That was an, a Polish-based anti-Russian and anti-Soviet intelligence network. Uh, many of the elements of that were absorbed into the uh, Nazi intelligence in World War II and then jumped to the Galen organization. If Polish units become involved in Ukraine, that may very well be a manifestation of the intermarium continuity. It will also facilitate the transfer of sophisticated Western arms to Ukraine. And uh, this is, again, part of the effort at bleeding Russia or weakening Russia, which in turn, as I have said, I think is part of uh, what the Ukrainian operation is, which is a European iteration of the Afghan gambit. This is an attempt at regime change in Moscow through a combination of military attrition and economic pressure. It does not appear that the estimates uh, of what is going on on the ground that are either being presented by our politicians or by our media uh, have anything to do with reality. In the update that I'm about to read, Jacques Beau points out the fundamental schism between what can be determined as an intelligence officer or as a viable intelligence agency and what is going on. Because what appears to be happening is that our politicians and our media and our military quote experts unquote are presenting certainly us and very possibly themselves with what they want to believe is happening not what is happening and I believe that as they find themselves belonging of the lies that they are clearly telling, uh, they may find that the policies that they are crafting also belong to those lies, and this may end up with a nuclear war. At any rate, from the Postal Magazine of April eleventh, 2022, the military situation in the Ukraine, an update by Jacques Beau, first name capital J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, uh, last name capital B-A-U-B. The operational Situation. As of March 25th, 2022, our analysis of the situation confirms the observations and conclusions made in mid-March. The offensive launched on February 24th is articulated in two lines of effort in accordance with Russian operational doctrine. One. A main effort directed toward the south of the country in the Donbass region and along the Azov Sea coast. As the doctrine states, the main objectives are the neutralization of the Ukrainian armed forces, the objective of quote demilitarization unquote, and the neutralization of ultra-nationalist paramilitary militias in the cities of Kharkov and Mariupol, the objective of denazification. This Primary push is being led by a coalition of forces through Kharkov and Crimea are Russian forces from the Southern Military District. In the center are militia forces from the Donetsk and Lugansk Republics. The Duchen National Guard is contributing with engagement in the urban area of Mariupol. <clears throat> Two. And by uh, this, in this, uh, Jacques Beau reiterates that the Russian move on Kiev was not an attempt at capturing Kiev, but rather at fixing or pinning down Ukrainian and Western forces to prevent them from engaging in the primary Russian thrust, which was to cut off the bulk of the Ukrainian military who were masked for an assault on the uh, Russian-speaking East. Uh, the setbacks that uh, Russia clearly experienced in that uh, drive on Kiev, which, which was a diversion not, uh, something that was seriously attempting at capturing Kiev. The setbacks that they experienced notwithstanding, uh, it looks like the West bit on that whole, uh, heartedly. And the Russian military effort was altogether successful in encircling and basically cutting off the bulk of the Ukrainian military, or, uh, much of it anyway. In the eastern part of Ukraine, they are now encircled in what is known as a cauldron and are being systematically destroyed. Uh, what we are being told notwithstanding. Again, I think the dangers here of the political and military leadership and the altogether compliant media lapdogs that are merely at this point an extension of them, not only in the U.S., but the West in general, they are telling us a lie, and I think they're telling themselves the lie, and that is incredibly dangerous because I don't see them admitting, you know what, we screwed up and damn, that was an extensive screw up, but you know the Russians won and gee whiz i don 't think they are going to admit defeat, nor are they going to admit that they made a mistake. I think they will continue to escalate, and I think this is very likely to result in uh, something like World War One, except they didn 't have nukes, and we do uh, part two of the analysis here. A secondary effort on Kiev aimed at pinning down Ukrainian and Western forces so as to prevent them from carrying out operations against the main thrust or even taking Russian coalition forces from the rear. This offensive follows to the letter the objectives defined by Vladimir Putin on February 24th. But, listening only to their own bias, Western, quote, experts, unquote, and politicians have got it into their heads that Russia's objective is to take over the Ukraine and overthrow its government. Applying a very Western logic, they see Kiev as the, quote, center of gravity, unquote, or schwerpunkt of Ukrainian forces. According to the Prussian military theoretician Karl von Clausewitz, the, quote, center of gravity, or schwerpunkt, is the element from which a belligerent derives his strength and ability to act and is, therefore, the primary objective of an adversary's strategy. This is why Westerners have systematically tried to take control of capitals in the wars they have fought. Trained and advised by NATO experts, the Ukrainian general staff has, predictably enough, applied the same logic Focusing on strengthening the defense of Kiev and its surroundings while leaving its troops helpless in the Donbass along the axis of the main Russian effort. One more time trained and advised by NATO experts, I think that belongs in quotes, the Ukrainian general staff has predictably enough applied the same logic, focusing on strengthening the defense of Kiev and its surroundings while leaving its troops helpless in the bombast along the axis of the main Russian effort. I would note that the the move on Kiev was a diversion. Uh, In Russia, chess is a national passion. In the U.S., Looking at pictures of Kim Kardashian's naked rear end on on one's uh, phone is a national passion. So I think things are, in a sense, uh, working out as tragically one might have expected under the circumstances. Continuing with Jacques Beau's analysis. If one had listened carefully to Vladimir Putin, one would have realized that the strategic objective of the Russian coalition is not to take over the Ukraine, but to remove any threat to the Russian-speaking population of the Donbass. According to this general objective, the real center of gravity that the Russian coalition is trying to target is the bulk of the Ukrainian armed forces massed in the south southeast of the country since the end of 2021, and not Kiev. The next section of the article, Russian success or failure. Convinced that the Russian offensive is aimed at Kiev, Western experts have quite logically concluded that A. The Russian offensive has stalled, and that B. The offensive is doomed to failure because they will not be able to hold the country in the long term. The generals who have followed each other on French TV seem to have forgotten what even a second lieutenant comprehends well. Quote, know your enemy. Unquote. Not as one would like him to be, but as he is. With generals like those, we don't need an enemy any more. That being said. The Western narrative about a Russian offensive that is bogged down and whose successes are meager is also part of a propaganda war waged by both sides. For example, the sequence of maps of operations published by Libération from the end of February shows almost no difference from one day to the next until March 18th when the media stopped updating it. Thus, on March 23rd, I think there's a misprint since February 23rd, that was before the invasion. I think thus on March, 20, on March 23rd on France TV, excuse me, thus on March 23rd on France 5, the TV station, the journalist Elise Masson evaluated the territory taken by the Russian coalition as the equivalent of Switzerland or the Netherlands. In reality, we are more in the area of Great Britain. As an example, let us observe the difference between the map of the situation on March 25th, 2022, as published by Le France, that's O-U-E-S-T, that's West France, and as published by the French Ministry of the Armed Forces. There are links there. In addition, it should be noted that the Ukrainian forces do not appear on any map presented in our media of the conflict situation. Thus, if the map of the French Ministry of Armed Forces gives a slightly more honest picture of reality, it also carefully avoids mentioning the Ukrainian forces encircled in the Kramatorsk cauldron. In fact, the situational map as of March 25th should look more like this. And by the way, if you click on the links... To the article itself in the postal, uh, the various maps and graphs and diagrams are all there. And you can see the encircled Russia, uh, encircled Ukrainian forces in the cauldron. Not altogether unlike uh, the Soviet Red Army's encirclement of von Paulus's 6th Army at Stalingrad. Continuing. In fact... The situational map as of March 25th, 2022, should look more like this. Uh, and the, in, in caps, the situation as of March 25th, 2022. Poussée principal main thrust. Poussée secondaire, secondary thrust. The bone-shaped blue area marks the location of the mass of the Ukrainian army. In reality, this massed Ukrainian army is split into several smaller cauldrons the red-lined arrows show the overall offensive of the Russian army. The orange-lined arrows show the thrust of the Donbass forces. The red dotted line shows the maximum advance of Russian coalition forces. Moreover, Ukrainian forces are never indicated on our maps, as this would show that they were not deployed. Moreover, Russian Moreover, Ukrainian forces are never indicated on our maps, as this would show that they were not deployed on the Russian border in February of 2022, but were regrouped in the south of the country in preparation for the offensive on the Donbass, the initial phase of which began on February 16th of 2022. Parenthetically, we went into that in our previous discussion of Jacques Beau's first article. This confirms that Russia was only reacting to a situation initiated by the West by way of the Ukraine, as we shall see. At present, it is these Ukrainian forces that are encircled in the Kramatorsk Colvin and are being methodically... the be- oh, sorry. At present, it is these forces that are encircled in the Kramatorsk Colvin and are being methodically fragmented and neutralized little by little in an incremental way by the Russian coalition. The vagueness maintained in the West about the situation of the Ukrainian forces has other effects. First, it maintains the illusion of a possible Ukrainian victory. Thus, instead of encouraging a negotiation process, the West seeks to prolong the war. This is what the European Union and some of its member countries have sent weapons and are encouraging the civilian population and volunteers of all kinds to go and fight, often without training and without any real command structure, with deadly consequences. Because the U.S. is doing the same thing. Continuing. We know that in a conflict, each party tends to inform in order to give a favorable image of its actions. However, the image we have of the situation and of the Ukrainian forces is based exclusively on data provided by Kiev. It masks the profound deficiencies of the Ukrainian leadership, even though that leadership was trained and advised by NATO military. Thus, military logic would have the forces caught in the Klamators' cauldron withdraw to a line at the Dnieper River, for example, in order to regroup and conduct a counteroffensive. But they were forbidden to withdraw by President Zelensky. Even back in 2014 and 2015, a close examination of the operations showed that the Ukrainians were applying Western-style schemes, totally unsuited to the circumstances, And in the face of a more imaginative, more flexible opponent who possessed lighter leadership structures, it is the same phenomenon today. In the end, the partial view of the battlefield given us by Armenia, in the end, the partial view of the battlefield given to us by Armenia has made it impossible for the West to help the Ukrainian general staff make the right decisions. And it has led the West to believe that the obvious strategic objective is Kiev, that, quote, demilitarization, unquote, is aimed at the Ukraine's membership in NATO, and that, quote, denazification, unquote, is aimed at the Ukraine's membership, denazification and, 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 the, the, the is aimed at Popling, Zelensky. This legend was fueled by Vladimir Putin's appeal for the Ukrainian military to disobey which was interpreted with great imagination and bias as a call to overthrow the government. However, this appeal was aimed at the Ukrainian forces deployed in the bombast to surrender without fighting. The Western interpretation caused the Ukrainian government to misjudge Russian objectives and misuse its potential of winning you don't win a war with bias, you lose it. And that is what is happening. Thus, the Russian coalition was never, quote, on the run, unquote, or, quote, stopped, unquote, by heroic resistance. It simply did not attack where it was expected. We did not want to listen to what Vladimir Putin had explained to us very clearly. This Islam, the West, has thus become volokh the main architect of the Ukrainian defeat that is taking shape. Paradoxically, it is probably because of our self-proclaimed, quote, experts, unquote, and recreational strategists on our television sets that the Ukraine is in this situation today. The next situation, the the next section, matter, the conduct of battle. As for the course of operations, the analyses presented in our media most often come from politicians or so-called military experts who will lay Ukrainian propaganda. One more time, because this is crucial. As for the course of operations, the analyses presented in our media come most often from politicians or so-called military experts who will lie one more, <laughs> sorry about that, as for the course of operations. The analyses presented in Armenia come most often from politicians or so-called military experts who relay Ukrainian propaganda. Let's be clear. A war, whatever else it is, is drama. The problem here is that our strategists in neckties are clearly trying to over-dramatize the situation in order to exclude any negotiated solution. This development, however, is prompting some Western military personnel to speak out and offer a more nuanced judgment. Thus, in Newsweek, an analyst from the Defense Intelligence Agency, or DIA, the American equivalent of the Direction de l'Enseignement Militaire, or DRN, in France, noted that, quote, in 24 days of conflict, Russia carried out some 1,400 strikes and launched nearly 1,000 missiles. By way of comparison, the U.S. carried out more strikes and launched more missiles in the first day of the Iraq War in 2003. By the way, we uh, read that article uh, in a previous program. While the West likes to soften up, unquote, the battlefield with intensive and prolonged strikes, before sending in ground troops, the Russians prefer a less destructive but more troop-intensive approach. On France 5, the journalist Mélanie Tervant presented the death of Russian generals on the battlefield as proof of the destabilization of the Russian army. But this is a profound misunderstanding of the traditions and modes of operation of the Russian army. Whereas in the West, commanders tend to lead from the rear, their Russian counterparts tend to lead from the front. In the West, they say, forward. In Russia, they say, follow me. This explains the high losses in the upper echelons of command already observed in Afghanistan, but it also tells of the much more rigorous selection of staff personnel than in the West. Furthermore, the DIA analyst noted that, quote, the vast majority of the airstrikes are over the battlefield, with Russian aircraft providing close air support to ground forces. The remainder, less than 20%, according to U.S. experts, has been aimed at military airfields, barracks, and supporting depots. Thus, the phrase, indiscriminate bombing, that is devastating cities and killing everyone, unquote, echoed by the Western media, seems to contradict the U.S. intelligence expert who said, quote, If we merely convince ourselves that Russia is bombing indiscriminately or that it is failing to inflict more harm because its personnel are not up to the task or because it is technically inept, then we are not seeing the real conflict. Unquote. In other words, how many lies before you belong to the lies. Continuing. In fact, <clears throat> Russian operations differ fundamentally from the Western concept of the same. The West's obsession with having no fatalities in their own forces leads them to operations that are primarily in the form of very lethal airstrikes. ground force troops only intervene when everything has been destroyed. This is why in Afghanistan or in the Sahel, Westerners killed more civilians than terrorists did. This is why Western countries engaged in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and North Africa no longer publish the number of civilian casualties caused by their strikes. In fact, Europeans engaged in regions that only marginally affect their national security, such as the Estonians in the Sahel, go there just, quote, to get their feet wet, unquote. In the Ukraine... The situation is very different. One only has to look at a map of linguistic zones to see that the Russian coalition operates almost exclusively in the Russian-speaking zone, thus among populations that are generally favorable to it. This also explains the statements of a U.S. Air Force officer, quote, I know that the news keeps repeating that Putin is targeting civilians, but there is no evidence that Russia is intentionally doing so, unquote. Conversely, it is for the same reason but in a different way that the Ukraine has deployed its ultra-nationalist paramilitary fighters in major cities such as Mariupol or Kharkov without emotional or cultural pause for the local population. These militias can fight even at the cost of heavy civilian casualties. The atrocities that are currently being uncovered remain hidden by the French-speaking media for fear of losing support for the Ukraine, as noted by the media close to the Republicans in the U.S. Parenthetically, we're not being told about that either. More later. After, quote, decapitation strikes in the first minutes of the offensive, the Russian operational strategy was to bypass the urban centers and to envelop the Ukrainian army pinned down, unquote, by the forces of the Donbass Republics. It is important to remember that the, quote, decapitation, unquote, is not intended to annihilate the general staff or the government, as our, quote, experts, unquote, tend to understand it, but to of the leadership structures so as to prevent the coordinated maneuver of forces. On the contrary... The aim is to preserve the leadership structures themselves in order to be able to negotiate a way out of the crisis. On March 25, 2022, after having sealed the cauldron of Kramatorsk which denied any possibility of retreat to the Ukrainians, and having taken most of the cities of Kharkov and Mariupol, Russia has practically fulfilled its objectives, All that remains is to concentrate its efforts on reducing the pockets of resistance. Thus, contrary to what the Western press has claimed, this is not a reorientation or a resizing of its offensive, but the methodical implementation of the objectives announced on February 24th. The next section, The Role of the Volunteers. A particularly disturbing aspect of this conflict is the attitude of European governments that allow or encourage their citizens to go and fight in the Ukraine. The Vladimir Zelensky's call to join the International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine, which he recently created, has been greeted with enthusiasm by European countries. Encouraged by the media, they present a routed Russian army Many of these young people head off, but one more time. Encouraged by the media that present a routed Russian army, many of these young people head off imagining they are going literally on a hunting trip. However, once there, disillusionment is high. Testimonies show that these, quote, amateurs, unquote, often end up as cannon fodder without having any real impact on the outcome of the conflict. The experience of recent conflicts, shows that the arrival of foreign fighters brings nothing to a conflict except to increase its duration and lethality. I would add that may very well be exactly what the goal in the West is, again, to weaken or bleed Russia, which in combination with economic pressure is designed at regime change in Moscow. Continuing. Moreover, the arrival in Ukraine of several Hundred Islamist fighters from the Idlib region of Syria, an area under the control and protection of the Western coalition in that country, and also the area in which two Islamic State leaders were killed by the Americans, should arouse our concern. Indeed, the weapons we are very liberally supplying to the Ukraine are already partly in the hands of criminal individuals and organizations, and are already beginning to pose a security problem for the authorities in Kiev. Not to mention the fact that the weapons that are being touted as effective against Russian aircraft could eventually threaten our military and civilian aircraft. The volunteer note this next section the volunteer proudly presented by the RTBF on the seventh PM news of march eighth, twenty twenty two, was an admirer of the corps Frank Valerie, Belgian volunteers who served the Third Reich, and he illustrates the type of people attracted to the Ukraine. In the end we will have to ask ourselves who gained the most in this case, Belgium or the Ukraine? Uh, talk, of course, the core front the They were pro-fascist, pro-Axis volunteers. And uh, Boas asking here, who actually uh, benefited the most, Belgium by getting rid of these people or Ukraine by taking them in? Continuing. Distributing weapons indiscriminately could well make the EU Volanola a supporter of extremism and even international terrorism. The result, we are adding misery to misery in order to satisfy the European elites more than the Ukraine itself. Next section, three points deserve to be highlighted by way of conclusion. 1. Western Intelligence Ignored by Policymakers Military documents found in Ukrainian headquarters in the south of the country confirm that the Ukraine was preparing to attack the Donbass and that the firing observed by OSCE observers as early as February 16th heralded an imminent outbreak in days or weeks. Here, some introspection is necessary for the West. Either its intelligence services did not see what was happening, and they are thus very bad, or the political decision-makers chose not to listen to them. We know that Russian intelligence services have far superior analytical capabilities than their Western counterparts. We also know that the American and German intelligence services had very well understood the situation since the end of 2021 and knew that Ukraine was preparing to attack the Donbass uh, parenthetically, in March of 2021, uh, Zelensky gave the Ukrainian forces uh, the directive to retake, unquote, Crimea, as we looked at in uh, our program a couple of weeks ago. Continuing, this allows us to deduce that the American and European political leaders deliberately pushed the Ukraine into a conflict that they knew was lost in advance for the sole purpose of dealing a political blow to Russia. The reason Zelensky did not deploy his forces to the Russian border and repeatedly stated that his large neighbor would not attack him was presumably because he thought he was relying on Western deterrence. That is what he told CNN on March 20th. He was clearly told that the Ukraine would not be part of NATO, but that publicly they would say the opposite. The Ukraine was thus instrumentalized to affect Russia. The objective was the closure of the North Stream 2 gas pipeline announced on February 8th by Joe Biden during the visit of Olaf Scholz of Germany, and which was followed by a barrage of sanctions. 2. Broken Diplomacy Clearly, since the end of 2021, no effort has been made by the West to reactivate the Minsk agreements, as evidenced by the reports of visits and telephone conversations notably between Emmanuel Macron and Vladimir Putin. However, France, as guarantor of the Minsk agreements and as a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council, has not respected its commitments, which has led to the situation that the Ukraine is experiencing today. There is even a feeling that the West has sought to add fuel to the fire since 2014. Thus, Vladimir Putin's placing of nuclear forces on alert on February 27th was presented by our media and politicians as an irrational act or a blackmail. Notice what Bo adds next. What is forgotten in the West is that it followed, that is to say, uh, Putin's placing of nuclear forces on on February 27th. What is forgotten is that it followed the thinly veiled threat made by Jean-Yves Le Drian, D-R-I-A-N, three days earlier that NATO could use nuclear weapons. Because we've heard nothing about this. We've told you know, Putin's a madman, he's irrational, and that's why he places nuclear forces on alert. <clears throat> this, this, this exemplifies the value of Bo's analysis, and it also exemplifies the lies we're being told. Of course, the question is, how many lies before you belong to the lies? This last paragraph again. Thus, Vladimir Putin's placing of nuclear forces on February 27th was presented by Armenia and politicians as an irrational act or a blackmail. What is forgotten is that it followed the thinly veiled threat by, made by Jean-Yves Le Drian three days earlier that NATO could use nuclear weapons. It is very likely that Putin did not take this, quote, threat, unquote, seriously, but wanted to push Western countries, and France in particular, to abandon the use of excessive language. The next section, The vulnerability of Europeans to manipulation is increasing. I think this could be uh, extended to Americans as well. Again, the vulnerability of Europeans to manipulation is increasing. Today, the perception propagated by Armibia is that the Russian offensive has broken down, that Vladimir Putin is crazy, irrational, and therefore ready to do anything to break the deadlock in which he supposedly finds himself. In this totally emotional context, the question asked by Republican Senator Marco Rubio during Victoria Nuland's testimony, one the question asked by Republican Senator Marco Rubio during Victoria Nuland's hearing before Congress was strange to say the least. Quote, If there is a biological or chemical weapon incident or attack inside the Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100% it would be the Russians behind it? Unquote. Naturally, she answered that there is no doubt. Yet there is absolutely no indication that the Russians are using such weapons. Besides, the Russians finished destroying their stockpiles of those weapons in 2017, while the Americans have not yet destroyed theirs. Perhaps this means nothing. But in the current atmosphere, with all the conditions are now met... Perhaps this means nothing. But in the current atmosphere, all the conditions are now met for an incident to happen that would push the West to become more involved in some form in the Ukrainian conflict. A false flag incident. Indeed. Uh, How many lies before you belong to the lies? We may very well find out before too much longer. I think I'm going to just continue... With, uh, the third installment of these consummately important presentations by Jacques Beau. And again, this is an interview with Jacques Beau by The Postal Magazine from May 1st of 2022. Again, an emphatic caveat with a capital E and a capital C by yours truly about the postal. That not, that having been said, we again, I think owe them a tremendous Debt of gratitude, those emphatic caveats of the capital E and the capital C, notwithstanding, they presented this information. Too bad others had not done the same. Again, and we'll finish this in our next program, our interview with Jacques Beau, The Postal, May 1st, 2022. In this penetrating interview, Jacques Beau delves into geopolitics to help us better understand what is taking place in Ukraine in that it ultimately... In this penetrating interview, Jacques Beau delves into geopolitics to help us better understand what is actually taking place in the Ukraine, in that it is ultimately the larger struggle for global dominance led by the U.S., NATO, and the political leaders of the West, and against Russia. As always, Colonel Beau brings to bear his well-informed analysis, which is unique for its depth and gravity. We are sure that you will find this conversation informative, insightful, and crucial in connecting the dots. And then we're going to proceed into the interview, the postal. We are so very pleased that you have, we are so very pleased to have you join us for this conversation. Will you please tell uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background? Jacques Beau. Well, thank you for inviting me. As to my education, I have a master's degree in econometrics and postgraduate diplomas in international relations and in international security from the Graduate Institute for International Relations in Geneva, Switzerland. I worked as strategic intelligence officer in the Swiss Department of Defense and was in charge of the Warsaw Pact Armed Forces including those deployed abroad, such as Afghanistan, Cuba, Angola, etc. By this he means, of course, in charge with uh, the intelligence, developing of information on the same. Uh, He wasn't in charge of uh, Warsaw Pact forces. He is a Swiss and NATO intelligence officer. One more time. I worked as strategic intelligence officer in the Swiss Department of Defense and was in charge of the Warsaw Pact on Forces, including those deployed abroad such as Afghanistan, Cuba, Angola, etc. I attended intelligence training in the UK and the US. Just after the end of the Cold War, I headed for a few years a unit in the Swiss Defense Research and Procurement Agency. During the Rwanda War, because of my military and intelligence background, I was sent to the Democratic Republic of Congo as security advisor To prevent ethnic cleansing in the Rwanda refugee camps, in the Rwandan refugee camps. During my time in the intelligence service, I was in touch with the Afghan resistance movement of Ahmed Shah Massoud, and I wrote a small handbook to help Afghans in demining and neutralizing Soviet bombers. In the mid-1990, the struggle against anti-personnel mines became a foreign policy priority of Switzerland. I proposed to create a center that would collect information about landmines and demining technologies for the U.N. This led to the creation of the Geneva International Center for Humanitarian Demining in Geneva. I was later offered to head the policy and doctrine unit of the U.N. Department of Peacekeeping Operations. After two years in New York, I went to Nairobi to perform a similar job for the African Union. Then, I was assigned to NATO to counter the proliferation of small arms. Switzerland is not a member of the NATO alliance, but this particular position had been negotiated as a Swiss contribution to the Partnership for Peace with NATO. In 2014, as the Ukraine crisis unfolded, I monitored the flow of small arms in the Donbass. Later, in the same year, I was involved in a Mayfield program to assist the Ukrainian armed forces in restoring their capacities and improving personnel management with the aim of restoring trust in them. The Postal. You have written two insightful articles about the current conflict in the Ukraine, which we have had the great privilege to translate and publish here and here. And there are links obviously there. Was there, was there a particular event or an instance which led you to formulate this much needed perspective, Jacques Beau. As a strategic intelligence officer, I have always advocated providing to the military, to the, as a strategic intelligence officer, I always advocated providing to the political or military decision makers the most accurate and most objective intelligence. This is the kind of job where you need to keep your prejudice and your feelings to yourself in order to come up with an intelligence that reflects as much as possible the reality on the ground rather than your own emotions or beliefs. I also assume that in a modern democratic state, decision must be fact-based. This is the difference with autocratic political systems where decision-making is ideology-based, such as in the Marxist states, or religion-based, such as in the French pre-revolutionary monarchy. Thanks to my various assignments, I was able to have an insider view in most recent conflicts, such as Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Sudan, Syria, and of course, Ukraine. The main common aspect between all these conflicts is that we tend to have a totally distorted understanding of them. We do not understand our enemies, their rationale, their way of thinking, and their real objectives. Hence, we are not even able to articulate sound strategies to fight them. This is especially true with Russia. Most people, including the top brass, tend to confuse Russia, unquote, and USSR, unquote. As I was in NATO, I could hardly find someone who could explain what Russia's vision of the world is, or even its political doctrine. Lots of people think Vladimir Putin is a communist. We like to call him a dictator, but we have a hard time to explain what we mean by that. As examples, People come up invariably with the assassination of such and such journalist or former SSB or GRU agents, although the evidence is extremely debatable. In other words, even if it is true, we are not able to articulate exactly the nature of the problem. As a result, we tend to portray the enemy as we wished him to be rather than as he actually is. This is the ultimate recipe for failure. This explains why after five years spent within NATO, I am more concerned about Western strategic and military capabilities than before. In 2014, during the Maidan Revolution in Kiev, I was in NATO in Brussels. I noticed that people didn't assess the situation as it was, but as they wished it would be. This is exactly what what Zinsu describes as the first step towards failure. In fact, it appeared clear to me that nobody in NATO had the slightest interest in Ukraine. The main goal was to destabilize Russia. Indeed, and we will be continuing with this uh, interview, uh, overlapping with what we have already read uh, in uh, our next program. Again, he notes that, uh, most people in NATO don't even know the difference between the USSR and NATO. Uh, again, uh, there's too much going on for me to cover in uh, a single program. Uh, so do note the, uh, comments made by Terrifactor and the Patreon site. A recent Patreon talk turned out to be very, uh, prescient. We were talking about school shootings. Just witness what took place in Texas and uh, perhaps we'll have more to say about that uh, down the line. We talk about what took place in Buffalo in our last program. However, we are all out of time. This concludes for the record program number 1246. How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, Part 19. This is being recorded on May 25th of 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.